It's nice to meet you, man. Yeah, you too. You're from Ohio, right? Uh, uh, I do West. Iowa. Iowa. Good evening, greetings to the three million residents of the state of Iowa who are all constitutionally obligated to listen to this show, Rock Hard Caucus. This is the 120th episode. Uh, recording date is September 11th, 2023. It's my birthday. It's Justin's birthday. <laughs> Why? I was supposed to, oh, I, to say that. Oh, You're not I should have given you space to birthday. acknowledge. Well, all right, all right. <laughs> Now, now I come across as conceited. So should I cut that out? And then I'll just say, uh, recording date is September 11th, 2023. Uh, you don't have to. I think it's fine. Oh, I think, yeah, it's fine. Keep it rolling. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Oh, well, there's nowhere I would rather be on the evening of my birthday than right here recording a podcast with my good friend, Evan. Thank you for being here, Evan. You're welcome. And tonight we've got a special guest. We've got Emma Schmidt. Uh, hello, Emma. Welcome to the show. Howdy. Thanks for having me. And I've got uh, some info on you pulled up. I don't know if you'd want me to read that, really. But but you work for uh, an organization called Bold Alliance, right? That is true. What do you do with them? I am an organizer. And essentially, we... With my job, I focus entirely on the carbon pipelines, um, not only in Iowa, but Nebraska, Minnesota, Illinois, the Dakotas, as well as a little bit dabbling in federal level stuff and California and Louisiana. Okay. Yeah, that's a big so, uh, a territory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. And with that, I mean, a lot of it is working with landowners that are impacted by the pipelines, legislators, um, and also a lot of the legal side of things. So we've got a number of lawsuits and we've got all these state agency hearings. And um, I am not a paralegal, but I'm saying I am on my resume. So (laughs) (laughs) you're basically doing the work of a paralegal without the training, maybe? Yeah, sometimes. (laughs) I I also double as a travel agent. Uh, I book a lot of flights for expert witnesses. So Hmm. I should say, don't ever try to go to South Dakota because their airport infrastructure non-existent impossible yeah yeah i I don't think i've ever flown into south dakota but i've always been within driving distance so i hadn't needed to you could could get there faster on roller skates honestly (laughs) than a plane (laughs) yeah so the work you do is specifically organizing people to oppose these pipelines uh i've I've recognized for a while now these pipelines are like a major issue, but I feel some some like distance from the issue. So I feel like I never have fully grasped like what all is going on. There's so much involved in this. So I guess let's start with the very basics. What is the intent? What is the stated intent of the the pipeline that is like most in focus right now? The proposed carbon capture pipeline. What is it supposed to do? So these pipelines are part of a larger scheme known as carbon capture and sequestration. And what the the goal there is, is to solve the climate crisis. 
because instead of, you know, having polluters actually reduce their pollution, they would rather be able to um, capture these emissions from the smokestacks of a polluting entity. So they capture the carbon from, in our case, um, an ethanol plant. Um, You also hear about it a lot with like clean coal. This is the clean coal technology. Um, Yep. And and once they've captured it, um, they'll sort out any of the other gases or or, um, mixtures, and then they will put it into a pipeline, a highly pressurized pipeline. And in that process, because of the pressure, the gas converts into a liquid and then they transport that liquid thousands of miles um, here in the Midwest, either to North Dakota or Illinois. And they claim that they'll be storing it underground because we're just taking carbon from the air, putting it underground, boom, no more climate change. Perfect. Um, Does not actually work, it turns out. I I know that's surprising. Um, And what we've seen right now, so there's actually 13 existing carbon capture and storage uh, operations up and running in the United States. And Mm -hmm. 12 of those actually use the carbon for enhanced oil recovery. And enhanced oil recovery looks a lot like fracking. They take the carbon, inject it in the ground to get like the last remaining dregs of oil out. Um, I see. So that and that's really where a lot of the profits up until about 2018 were with the industry. And now, thanks to a number of moves by Congress, uh, they have really just escalated the tax credits and funding that's available to carbon capture um, projects. And so it's I mean, you make a good hunk of money if you just uh, put that carbon in the ground. We have never really gotten a straight answer from any of the companies that are proposing pipelines in Iowa on whether they actually intend to just store it or if they'll be utilizing it in some other fashion first. We do know that like the Summit Pipeline, for example, when it uh, was first announced, their uh, founder, Bruce Rastetter, a man Mm -hmm. we all love and adore, Mm -hmm. right? We should Um, talk about him. Yeah. (laughs) He is on the record up in North Dakota saying that like they only need these pipelines for the enhanced oil recovery because this is going to help keep fossil fuels alive in North Dakota. But turns out that's not a very popular use. And after a while, that just kind of disappeared. And now they deny ever wanting to use the carbon for enhanced oil recovery. So it's really what they're going to do with it. Nobody knows what is the purpose of these pipelines to make money off of our tax dollars. It's just to make a couple wealthy white men even richer, which we love to see, right? (laughs) (laughs) But the PR element is that they are capturing the the pollutants from ethanol plants, like you said, and just putting it underground. So this is a a scientific question. How much carbon gas uh, fits inside of the earth? Do you know? Do you have a figure for that? I could make one up for you. I have no idea. That's that's the problem too. Is like the few long term studies that exist on this technology. Uh, the carbon doesn't stay underground. Like it, it slowly leaks out, and so you're sure. really not solving any problem unless your problem is that you are a wealthy white man that needs more money. Um, mm-hmm. In which case, check mark that that problem is solved. But otherwise, no. And I mean. On the ethanol note, that is one of their big PR moves, just claiming that without 
using carbon capture technology, the ethanol industry is just, it's going to die. They're in dire straits, you know, after having the most <laughs> profitable year on record. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that ethanol's lifespan is, is limited, right? Like it's probably not going to last forever. So is the carbon thing just like another technique for just like elongating the use of ethanol, just like life support? To some extent, I mean, I don't think it'll really make a big difference in the long run. Um, For one, a big chunk of the money that comes from this project is through the low carbon fuel standard. Like that's Mm -hmm. um, California, Canada, other a few other states are considering it or just enacting it. Um, But if you look at California, I mean, every report that they've been putting out lately, they don't intend on increasing um, the use of ethanol or anything like that. Um, And it's really they're actually going to be lowering the, the funding that they can get for trading the low carbon fuel credits for ethanol. So it's a bit of a mess. Um, and really, it's all just talk is is kind of the key takeaway. They make a lot of claims, but none of them really stand up to any scrutiny, especially when we're in an era where, yeah, ethanol is, it's not really popular outside of the Midwest, honestly. I mean, it, it, and here, it's really only popular because they've had a massive, massive campaign for years to ensure that people use it. I mean, we saw, what was it, last year or the year before, where Governor Reynolds mandated that we have to have E15 at our gas stations. I mean, you would think for a product that everybody loves so much, we wouldn't have to mandate it. It would just (laughs) naturally happen. But what do I know? Yeah, forced sales wouldn't wouldn't be necessary, I wouldn't think. well, yeah, I mean, I think we talked about this when we had uh, Chris Jones on the show, but like the only reason anybody buys ethanol gas is because it's cheaper, slightly cheaper. And right, it's only yep. slightly cheaper because it's heavily subsidized, right? Exactly. <laughs> okay. So Which, if, if we like, if the ethanol industry were to die out, which really, I think they're already starting to make the transition from providing fuel to everyday folks to fuel their cars, right? Um, And really looking deep into jet fuel. So that Mm. is kind of the next step. In fact, Bruce Rastetter just announced a plan to build a a jet fuel uh, production facility down in the Gulf Coast. So that is definitely on their radar. And and I think we'll be seeing more and more of that. And let's say jet fuel fails, then you can also end up converting these pipelines to carry whatever you want. I mean, you could put anything from hydrogen. Hydrogen is talked about a lot, which we all know, very dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you could fill it with Lucky Charms. There's really no limit on what you could transport through it. That's an interesting idea. So uh, Mm -hmm. I would assume they would have to be like in milk in order to transfer like uh, Lucky Charms. (laughs) I was going to say, you want to transport the gold. You don't necessarily want to transport the charms. (laughs) <laughs> you know, the pot of the gold at the end of the rainbow. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> we should probably talk about uh, Bruce Rastetter and yeah. who he is uh, and what his role is in all of this. That's where I wanted to go next. I don't want to let this this slide by entirely without uh, without comment. Um, we are recording on 9-11 and there was just a lot of talk of jet fuel. So listeners, you know, make your own connections in your head. Uh, we don't necessarily have to connect those dots for you, but just... Just note, yeah, we we are talking about jet fuel on 9-11. Uh, so, Emma, 
Who's Bruce Rastetter? Well, I've got a really quick sidebar, and that is if <laughs> you read <laughs> it is well, it's about ethanol. It, so Summit had to provide testimony for the current IOT utilities board hearings that they are going through in order to get a permit to build this pipeline. And um, they made note, one of their executives did, that ethanol is crucial to national security in the United States. And Mm. the way I take that is to mean we need to be blaming ethanol for, you know, everything that's gone wrong. In fact, it wasn't like SEAL Team 6 that killed Osama bin Laden. It was ethanol. It wasn't, (laughs) you know... Osama bin Laden that crashed into the World Trade Center. That was ethanol that did that. I mean, they could have stopped yeah. it. They could have, we... but the industry just <laughs> didn't the care. The ethanol industry is responsible for all of our safety. And they, yeah, they have failed time and time again. Mm-hmm. Let us down. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Was there, <laughs> would there have been any ethanol in jet fuel back in 2001? Probably not. I don't think right? so. Right. I don't think so. However, the helicopter that SEAL Team 6 flew to Osama bin Laden's secret house uh, that may have had ethanol in it. That was only what twelve years ago or so. Mm-hmm. There was ethanol around in gas then. <laughs> yeah, it does spread burn this conspiracy. Well. <laughs> that that's a win for ethanol. Uh, ethanol is responsible <laughs> for the death of Osama bin Laden, which uh, impacted all of us greatly. As uh, your average everyday Iowan citizens, we were all much safer on that day once he was brought to justice long long after his heinous crimes were committed <laughs> thank you ethanol god bless <laughs> all right so bruce rastetter um i first became aware of that guy when he was appointed to the iowa board of regents um by terry branstead i think i think he was appointed when yeah. bradstead was still governor mm-hmm. yeah so what what is he where did he come from how did he make all his money Oh, boy. So Bruce Rastetter got his start back in the 90s with hog confinements. I mean, he he really built up the factory farming industry here in Iowa. And I mean, to this day, he still has um, I think he owns almost 700,000 hogs still. So still a pretty big player. But he did sell off a lot of his assets way back in the mid-ish 2000s, early 2000s, because he got into the ethanol industry. And so he went from hog confinements to ethanol, which ethanol is a benefit to hog confinements because you're producing all of this corn. And so not only do you get cheap feed prices to Mm. feed your your livestock, but a lot of ethanol plants also, um, the leftovers from the process of making ethanol can be used to feed uh, livestock. So all around, it, it it's like a perfect tie-in because no matter what, he's getting making money or yeah. you know not losing he's any. Well um, positioned. Yep. And from there, he actually ended up. He was in the ethanol industry for a while here in Iowa. Ended up selling his business. There was a small little affair in Tanzania where he tried to displace a hundred and sixty thousand refugee farmers. Which was not great. Um, fortunately, it's actually his position on the Board of Regents that helped put an end to that. We were able to stop that um, because it was just such a terrible PR crisis. And he tried to use his position on the Board of Regents and with Iowa State to move that project forward, which backfired spectacularly. Um, so this was this was a, a project that you said would displace 160,000 farmers in Tanzania. Is that what you said? Yep. Refugees. Yep. They were refugee farmers. 
yep. what was what was the project that would have displaced them? Um, it was called Agrisol. And Agrisol. I would just highly suggest yep, looking it up. Uh, Dan Rather actually reported on it. Tonight, trouble on the land. The story of Agrisol, an American company trying to develop a massive farm in one of the poorest parts of Africa. Is it a good deal for the people of Tanzania or a land grab? So there's, I mean, a lot of good stuff out there. Um, the Oakland Institute really did a great deep dive report on it back in the day. Um, and it, it's been helpful because it, it, like at that time, folks in Iowa said, you know, he's he's taking people's land in Tanzania right now, but it's going to be our land here next. And yep. what do you know? That's actually exactly what happened um i should also mention uh a lot of his money is also coming from ethanol in brazil so he owns like the largest ethanol plant in brazil he's actually got a couple of them and um it's really interesting how they say that we need this technology to keep you know ethanol alive in iowa when bruce is also our biggest competitor really because he's <laughs> providing all this ethanol from Brazil. So it's it's really just a fascinating series of events. But he's yeah, got I, I mean I didn't realize it was such an inter- money. international industry. They make it sound like it it's by Iowans for Iowans. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and it is just as fake as everything else they say. Mm-hmm. So uh all right we know we know kind of where he came from, how he made all of his money. How is he connected to the current the carbon capture pipeline uh, projects now? So Bruce is actually the founder of Summit Carbon Solutions. Mm-hmm. He it's and it is a subsidiary of um, Summit Farms, which is like the overall business um, he has or Summit Ag and. With that, he has really used all the political connection, connections that he's gained along the way through his his agricultural ties, ethanol ties, um, everything else. He's got uh, Terry Branstead brought in as um, one of his advisors. He's got, I mean, folks from that like helped take people's land during the Dakota Access Pipeline. Same same vice president of land acquisition for Dakota Access now works for Bruce. Um, he's also, of course, used all of the profits that he's made from taking other people's lands and, and whatnot um, to influence the political process, donating over a million dollars to um, politicians, largely in Iowa. I mean, Governor Reynolds alone, I want to say, has taken over like three hundred thousand dollars in her time so he mm-hmm. he is not afraid to uh use his money where he can i saw some of the recent news about this was that they had uh uncovered several emails between kim reynolds and bruce rastetter you know just constantly trying to set up a date to meet to talk about these these pipelines um do you think that maybe the amount of money he's donated to the governor uh has some impact on how uh, how easy his access to the governor is, how how often they uh, they talk to each other. Do you think that there may be some direct correlation? Are you implying that <laughs> Governor Kim Reynolds could be corrupted by money? Uh, I've it's, never. I mean, <laughs> most politicians 
would not ever, you know, would never give any favors in exchange for political contributions. But I'm saying it's a possibility. I mean, I would go out on a limb and say, yeah, yeah, um, that is certainly although I mean, it's not even just the the carbon capture pipelines that they, they have had a relationship mm-hmm. going back for years. Same with Branstead. I mean, there's actually a clip somewhere out there um, where uh, Rasseter basically just bosses Branstead around and tells him, like, you're going to call me and we're going to talk <laughs> about this. And like, it's just the man has immense, immense influence. So he's the boss of of the elected officials. It's not even like a partnership. It's like, you know, yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> you answer to me. Wow. Okay. So he's he's the real he's the real tyrant of Iowa. Absolutely, one of, one of many. <laughs> um, I guess I want to ask about the uh, on the ground response to this because obviously, in order to get uh, these pipelines built, it requires a lot of different parties to consent to it in one way or another so obviously we've seen some heated um like uh meetings between representatives from summit and citizens so i'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are on that yes really quick tangent going back to the emails though I don't know if y'all read all 800 and some pages of the uh, request, but I did. I, I read and about one the, page. Sorry. Just the, one. Uh, <laughs> the, the best nugget in there is that Kim Reynolds and Bruce Rostetter were supposed to have a dinner date in, I want to say, 2019. And she had to cancel because she forgot to vote. She did not vote in the election, and so she had to run back to her hometown so she could cast her ballot, and <laughs> so she couldn't have dinner with Bruce because of it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I guess that's good to know that uh, even the governor, like, you know, you can't just... You would think that she could just, like, stick the ballot in whenever. Um, <laughs> but there are rules that, that apply even to her. She's not a hypocrite about wanting to um, restrict, like, absentee mm-hmm. voting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she no, she's standing by that. She does dedicated. not absentee vote in person on the day. Otherwise, it's not a real vote. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so as far as like on the ground, it has been really, really interesting watching just so many different folks that you wouldn't really ever consider to be allies in anything coming together to oppose these pipelines. Um, Summit has really, I think, struck a nerve with a lot of Iowans, not only, well, and folks across the Midwest in general, not only because everybody kind of sees this for what it is, it's just more corporate greed and corporate control trying to dominate our lives, but also because these pipelines are incredibly risky. They can be lethal. I mean, carbon dioxide is an asphyxiant. Um, if you were near a rupture site, which we always know that pipelines will eventually fail. I mean, you if you are within like 750 feet of a 14 inch pipeline uh you have 60 seconds 60 seconds to get away before you die okay that's that's a longer distance than i was aware of (laughs) it's and that i mean the pipelines in iowa are like 24 inches in some some cases even even bigger yep yep um and so folks are really upset about that and some is of course downplaying it um saying that you know 
there's never been a recorded death from a carbon pipeline. Well, yeah, sure, because the technology is fairly new. It's not really well established. So why would there be when when there's not much of a presence at this point? As we know, you know, like infrastructure decays over time and they're not going to spend the money to maintain it safely. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Right. And Summit's never built a pipeline before. So what do they even <laughs> know about maintenance? <laughs> And and then the other issue, of course, is property rights. Um, Summit has applied for the use of eminent domain, claiming that because this will create uh, temporary jobs for out-of-state construction workers, um, it will help the longevity of the ethanol industry, and it will fight climate change, that this is a public use and a public necessity, allowing them to take people's land without their consent. Um, and I think that's something that resonates with a lot of folks, but all of those issues together have just culminated in this massive opposition that I don't think we ever really anticipated. And we've just been incredibly successful with it. Summit has now been denied their applications in both North Dakota and South Dakota. Um, okay. And hopefully we'll see the same happen in Iowa. I, I have a feeling our uh, oversight agency isn't quite as... Uh, intelligent i guess as the dakotas are but oh man we'll that, that is hard to take <laughs> worse than south dakota <laughs> i don't you know what we've got the airports but they've got the good board members <laughs> yeah yeah i mean south dakota is often one of you know one of the few uh adjacent states where i i feel like i can look down on their government as compared to ours <laughs> Well, they they produce more energy than we do, um, so they probably have more people who are you know from that side of things, right? More uh, liter literate in this kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. One of the the issues in like South Dakota was that um, they they have you know a real belief in local control, and a number of counties passed ordinances that would have put like setback distances from towns and the pipeline because we know pipelines are dangerous. At least these ones are. We've actually seen the same thing here in Iowa, where I'm going to say seven counties so far have enacted ordinances that would restrict where the pipeline could go. Um, Summit, of course, has sued most of those counties um, because they're, you know, good guys always fighting for everyday Iowans. Um, and what, what led to part of the, the denial in South Dakota was the fact that they their proposal did not abide by these county ordinances. Um, they were not like their route would have just completely disregarded these, you know, mm -hmm. local level laws. And so the the um, PUC, the Public Utilities um, Commission up there said, if you can't follow the county ordinances, which you can't with this proposal, then you're out of here. And so it, it's really good stuff. I mean, we know they're going to apply again, but it's going to take them some time to come up with a new route and everything else. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a major it's, win. It's nice to see some, you know, authoritative board actually, you know, exercise some authority over, <laughs> you know, these uh, corporate proposals. Uh, where is this pipeline supposed to go like through Iowa? So it has like a main line, but then it also branches off into a number of different areas. But a lot of it is focused in like Western Iowa and kind of like the Northern half. It goes up into Minnesota, over to Nebraska and South Dakota. I want to say there's 29 counties that are impacted by Summit. Oh, um, all right. But of course, Summit isn't the only 
uh, proposed pipeline. There's also Navigator, which um, basically cuts the state diagonally from what the northwest to the southeast. It follows like the Dakota Access Pipeline route in a lot of ways um, mm-hmm. and actually will be crossing uh, the Mississippi River pretty darn close, like almost right next to where Dakota Access uh, crossed, which say the pipeline ruptured right where it goes underneath the Mississippi River, I'm sure that's going to not have any consequences with Dakota Access's oil pipeline. It'll be great. Um, No worries. (laughs) And that's fine if that all goes into the river, right? Because the water will kind of dilute it all. And so it would be sort of a built-in protection there. It'll just acidify the water and kill all the fish and like wildlife, which who cares? (laughs) Yeah, we're not wildlife, so it's not, it doesn't impact humans. Yeah, it's We're fine. It'll be great. As as long as Bruce Rastetter remains wealthy, we're all going to just be happy. And that's that. There's also a third pipeline, and that is the Archer Daniels Midland. They, they're an ethanol company. They have partnered mm-hmm. with Wolf Carbon Solutions, which is a Canadian mm. company. I've um, heard that one build, like, before. Yep. And, and they're building like a 300-mile pipeline from eastern Iowa over to Illinois. Okay. Yeah, has Wolf yes. Carbon been involved in, in any of these other like large pipeline projects? Because I don't know where I encountered that name before. They were pretty big up with the Alberta trunk line in Canada. I don't know if that's it, but they are very interesting. They have spent the most out of all of these companies on lobbying uh, in the Iowa legislature, which I think is fascinating because you really don't hear them mentioned as much. I think Summit kind of just sucks all the air out of the room. But I mean, they're behind the scenes working hard. And same with Navigator on the federal level. Um, just since I want to say like late 2021, they've spent over a million dollars lobbying Congress. So okay. they yeah. are, I mean, big money is what we're up against. So the fact that we have anyone at all is just really a testament to how great the opposition and the dedication of the people opposing these pipelines is. Yeah. And you mentioned that there's, yeah, go ahead, Evan. Well, I was just going to ask what the federal what's kind of the federal government, uh, what's their input on, on this whole carbon, carbon uh, pipeline situation? Yes. So uh, I will say, I don't think all of this necessarily started with bad intentions. So, I mean, we could trace kind of the government's interest in carbon capture back to, I think, the late 1970s, early 80s. But it really like started steamrolling uh, around 2008 under the Bush administration. They created this tax credit called 45Q. And with that tax credit, you got a certain amount of money for capturing carbon and either storing it or um, using it for enhanced oil recovery. And then in 2018, we saw um, with the bipartisan, I'm blanking on what bill it was. It was a major one. Inflation reduction or... That's or the part infrastructure. Of it. So that comes next. It, yeah, okay. <laughs> the bipartisan infrastructure bill. It was the infrastructure okay. yeah, bill. Yeah. Um, that introduced... Uh, trillions of dollars on the table for this industry uh, from all sorts of different grants and funding opportunities to putting in a ton of money into new research and development for carbon capture. Um, And then under the Inflation Reduction Act um, last year, we saw the tax credits that they uh, can get for capturing carbon grow even larger. Um, 
And in fact, in I think you can actually even get it in direct payments now. And the the absolutely wild thing is, is they they get it based on like how much carbon they capture, right? Like for every ton of carbon they capture, they get a set amount of dollars potentially. Um, nobody's actually monitoring how much carbon they capture. Like nobody is there <laughs> investigating and auditing to make sure they've actually captured any carbon. So, so like I mean, it's just rife for fraud. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. wild. I, yeah. Cause I was thinking about like, do they just like put it in a balloon and they just like provide samples? Like this is, this is how much carbon we're collecting government. Take a look. <laughs> yep. But they, they don't have to really show any proof no, it is it is just absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> I'm curious how efficient these carbon capture things can possibly be anyway. It seems like crazy that they're just like pulling like it out of the air in mass quantities like that. Like is there has there been any studies on how much energy it takes to pull it out mm. of mm. the yeah. air? Yeah, there have been. And in fact, it is not efficient <laughs> at all. Um, yeah. It turns out that they end up emitting, in most cases, more greenhouse gases than they capture in the process because it does. It takes massive amounts of, of energy in order to capture and um, transport everything else um, with the pipelines. But also it involves in just absolutely unimaginable amounts of water so they use that to um in certain cases to scrub it and also to just like keep the um mechanical parts of the the um equipment like from overheating keeping it cooled down yeah we just saw in iowa that they summit put in a, an application to withdraw i want to say um well they've put in a couple applications wanting to withdraw anywhere from uh 27 um million gallons of water per year to 55 million gallons of water per year for each ethanol plant. And they have, you know, in total 31 ethanol plants across the Midwest. So you're talking (laughs) billions of gallons of water just for a technology that doesn't even work. (laughs) It's, it's bonkers. Yeah. Where would they be getting that water from? That seems like a lot of water. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there was just a big article about Microsoft using Raccoon River, uh, which is goes through Des Moines. Um, mm-hmm. They kind of in secret, I guess, uh, are basically using that water to cool their GPT, uh, basically what <laughs> is the basis oh, no. for the chat GPT bots. So another completely useless thing that they're using our natural resources for. Yeah, I uh, think what they're saying... That. That's, they're saying it does one thing, but it's really doing another, and it's only serving mm-hmm. a purpose of, like, driving mm-hmm. wages down. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, it is really just on on brand for Bruce Rastetter, because, I mean, if you look at it, like, he's been in the confinement industry for most of his life, and a massive amounts of water are are required for, for hogs. For every hog, you can calculate that they use around i mean the numbers vary depending on like their age and all of that but like on average like 2.5 gallons of water a day to keep a, a single hog alive so you multiply that by Bruce Rastetter's 700,000 hogs that he has here in Iowa and that alone is i mean almost 7 million gallons of water so he's you know kind of like Iowa's own personal nestle like he is no <laughs> yeah. problem constantly just taking resources from others and that's seven million per day gallons, right? I think that was the math you did. No, seven okay. million per year. Oh, okay, okay. Maybe. I have a liberal <laughs> arts degree, man. Me too. Yeah. I don't know any of this shit. <laughs> I don't have a degree. <laughs> <laughs> 
but but regardless, pigs. Uh, seven, wait, they require did I say a lot of water. Seven hundred million. Yeah, seven hundred million a year. So yeah, just okay. Especially especially like, yeah, long term use. Long term use. Like, is that what we want our our water resources going to, or do we yeah. want to have you know clean drinking water for the people of Iowa, which in many cases isn't happening. I mean, be yeah, we're already look at Des Moines at Water Works. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's in, just priorities are are out there. Yeah, we can use our water to keep a pig alive long enough to then kill it or to move uh, hazardous gases through through the state. So we were talking about how this has attracted opposition from a surprising variety of people. Uh, You talked about the safety concerns and you talked about eminent domain. Have you met any like... Let's say anyone who makes under $100,000 a year. Have you met any person in that demographic who thinks that this pipeline would be good? No. Okay. (laughs) That's kind of what I expected. So we're talking about people from vast, vastly different politically ideological bents, leanings, are joining together to oppose the pipeline. So... Have you met any like really weird eminent domain cranks in your work? And I mean, I guess you probably, I probably shouldn't ask you to be like insulting the people you're organizing with. So I, let me clarify. I say crank as like a positive. I love cranks. I myself am a crank in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of characters of all <laughs> kinds in this fight and I enjoy every minute of it, but like on the topic of, you know, just strange bedfellows. Mm-hmm. I I had lunch with Steve King. Um, oh wow! <laughs> yeah, never anticipated that one. Um, but he is staunchly against um yeah. the abuse of 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 um eminent domain. Uh, I think that's where our uh common agreements end. <laughs> but that you know, I'll take it. I guess. Um. It's it's definitely interesting. Um, I wasn't ever really planning on hanging out with a white supremacist, but yeah. <laughs> if he offered to cook a hamburger for me, I guess I'll take it. Um, although I will say I requested a cheeseburger and he gave me a hamburger, but mm-hmm. that's neither here nor there. Um, Did you request like one of those fancy liberal cheeses on it? Is that the problem? Just craft American singles. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but uh. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really a, a really broad variety of folks that are coming together. And I mean, yeah, you definitely hear a, a great deal of differing opinions and and you got to do a, a lot of biting your tongue because really, I think what this is about is, you know, not just, you know, meeting people where they're at geographically, but also politically and being able to understand why they feel the way they do about all sorts of issues. And so it's really interesting to hear, you know, kind of like just hear from outside my own little bubble of uh, mm-hmm. how people view different things. And really, I mean, a lot of this stuff has like the same like kind of common like bond of like, you know, they are against like corruption in our government. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. But then mm-hmm. next thing I know, they're talking about like how it's all the communists fault. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, we we diverted courses there, <laughs> but you know, it's good start. Well, we'll work on it. And you know what? I think 
the conspiracy theories they come up with fantastic i i wish i was that creative do you have any good examples yeah um did you know i learned this from uh congressman king oh that, boy um, <laughs> i've heard a few fink, of his <laughs> larry fink and george soros um mm-hmm. very that's right that's where i thought this might be going uh, <laughs> yeah they they have attained immortality they will never die they have found the secret to everlasting life um and Steve's not jealous. Um, he he doesn't care that they they've managed to live forever because that's a sin, and he will live forever um, at the side of his in Lord. the kingdom so, of heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. He wow, this is like real. Like he genuinely believes that George Soros has unlocked immortality on Earth. He said it on stage. You can watch the recording. Yeah, it was. I've not ever met Larry Fink or Klaus Schwab or George Soros. But I know a lot about those guys, and they're buddies at the World Economic Forum. And when you take the smartest brains in the world, and they think they are, and they think, by the way, they are an immortal generation, too. They believe that they have enough science, they can figure out how they're not going to age, and so they want to live forever. And they want to live forever with uh, with all of the power that can be accumulated. Now, if you're an atheist, and you say, death's a void, it's the best I can hope for is a void at the end of my life, you're going to try to come up with some other way to be immortal, aren't you? I, I don't have to do that, because I may have faith in God. He's going to take care of all of that, and I don't want to make any decisions for him. And I don't want to sit in judgment at the at the pearly gates on any of these people that I'm about to talk about. Although, I wouldn't mind having a seat on the 50-yard line there in a bowl of popcorn and see how they invent it. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I... Uh... I read his uh, his book for the podcast, so I I feel like I got a pretty good insight into like what's going on in his head a lot of the times. But he did not broach the subject of George Soros' immortality in the book, so that's a new one to me. <laughs> that's exciting. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but he did give me a signed copy, so no, it's nice, on nice. my on my yeah. shelf. That's uh, unfortunately a very easy conspiracy theory to disprove. So, like, as soon as George Horace is up there in years, <laughs> it's, yeah. so uh, man, I wonder how they react to that. That theory's got a shelf life. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, it's still true as far as we know. Man's still alive. So, yeah. well, I'm, I'm I mean, a believer. I'll buy it. Even when he dies, it's like uh, you and I. We're never going to see the body. So like, oh, that's yeah, that's right. You're right. You're right. That's what they'll do. That, remi- that reminds me, we were talking about uh, Bin Laden earlier. The same kind of thing with him. You know, mm-hmm. they dumped his body at sea. Yeah. Do you really believe that? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to bring things back to 9-11 again. Um, <laughs> well, never forget, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, especially like in the like the northwest portion of our state, you know, your average person's probably fairly conservative. That's just the way things are out there. So they're finding uh, they don't like this stuff because it's like their private properties, their rights have been encroached upon in that respect. How do they, I guess, you know, this is like eminent domain for a private purpose, right? How, how are they trying to sell that as like a legitimate use of eminent domain? Because of the jobs that they will be creating, the temporary jobs, I should mm-hmm. note, um, and uh, 
the also the more long-term jobs through the ethanol industry and because of the reduction in carbon going into the atmosphere. It, I mean, Dakota Access, when that pipeline was approved, they used a very similar argument around like the economics and the importance of um, creating jobs for out-of-state I uh, out-of-state workers that really <laughs> don't benefit Iowans in any way. In fact, when Dakota Access came through, so many of their workers were utilizing the Ames Food Bank that they ran out of food. Like they couldn't provide food to the people oh, of wow. Ames because out-of-state workers were cleaning them out. Oh, because I was going to say, you know, it benefits the state because those guys eat lunch at the gas station every day. So like they're they're like a boon to the Casey's economy, but they they weren't even paying them enough to afford lunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. Yeah, so I. Uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline was a few years ago now, so I would imagine that there's maybe some data we could look at to see how this has economically benefited the people who live in in the path of the pipeline. Uh, any benefits to the people? Uh, I will say I live like you know very close to the pipeline, right, mm-hmm. right past my town. Um, I haven't noticed any changes except they did make a big donation to our local uh, EMTs and they were able to add new locks to the uh, ambulance building. So um, I appreciate that Dakota access. Great, great job. Didn't really make up for the fact that, you know, your private security firm was stalking and and targeting people um, Mm -hmm. and just using insane uh, surveillance tactics, but Hey, yeah. Appreciated the check. (laughs) Um, and and really, that's the same kind of thing with with Summit. They have like community grants that they'll give out to buy favor amongst um, communities, while at the same time they are not only wasting resources because like they they will bring out um, the sheriffs when they try and do uh, surveys of people's land and that sort of thing, and I, just all sorts of different things that that they really are not contributing anything to our society in a positive way at least lots of negatives but (laughs) um i think like in that same vein though with dakota access people watch that and a lot of folks you know really paid attention to the the damages to the land Mm -hmm. i mean if you look on google earth right now you can follow the dakota access pipeline from corner to corner of the state just by looking at the crops because the the yields still are not the same because uh generally they they compacted the soil with all of the heavy equipment um and they mixed the different soil types so topsoil was mixed in with subsoil and whatnot and and uh continues to impact yields and that's one of the big drawbacks for farmers in this case, I think, along with a lot of damage to tile lines. We know Iowa has tile lines everywhere and they're going to be crossing a whole, whole lot of it. And once a tile line is broken, it, it doesn't ever go back to the way it was, even if you repair it. And so there's a lot of animosity and anger over just what it will do to um the livelihoods of these farmers and their tenants. Yeah. And when you bring up uh, the effects on land, uh, we should probably also talk about how, especially with the Dakota access pipeline, a big, a big driving force behind the, the protests of that pipeline were the, the complete disregard for like indigenous people and their, their land rights. Uh, Is there anything similar going on right now with like summit or any of the other pipeline companies? 
to some extent, um, part of the reason that Summit was denied up in North Dakota is because just like Dakota Access, they originally planned to route through Bismarck, mm-hmm. which, of course, very urban area, lots of people there that opposed the pipeline. And then they rerouted it and it went through Standing Rock territory. Yeah. Um, and that's when the tribes really got involved. Um Summit has to come up with a new route in North Dakota. Will they go through Standing Rock? I have a feeling they're going to do their darndest not to because of what happened with Dakota (laughs) Access. Mm -hmm. Um, There has been some tribal input on on the pipelines, not as much as we saw with Dakota Access at this point, but I think it's going to continue to grow, especially like up in Minnesota. They've got a a pretty solid group. uh, Indigenous Environmental Network has also been chipping in and doing some work, but I was just kind of tough because the pipelines don't really go through any, so like they're not by like Tama or anything. So it's, yeah. it's, um, a bit more difficult to kind of garner that interest when there's so many other issues that yeah, are yeah. affecting folks to. Yeah. Silver lining. They're not blasting through, you know, tribal land. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Instead, it's all of these rural communities. And that's it's interesting because most rural communities are not considered high consequence areas, HCAs, um, by the uh, federal oversight uh, agency that oversees pipeline safety. And so, like, they might you know, make recommendations around safety if this pipeline were going like right through downtown Des Moines. But because it's, you know, going by Erling, Iowa, we don't really care. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's the, those people can can be sacrificed for Bruce Rostetter's <laughs> bottom line. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, I guess it's just a numbers game, you know, like the pipeline has to go yeah. somewhere. So kill as, as few people as you can and we'll approve that plan. <laughs> We saw well, RFK Juniors. The, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> that's the, the scary thing, too, is they have to do all of this modeling to show, like, um, you know, if the pipeline were to rupture in this area, how far would the plume spread? How many people would be impacted? All that. Um, and they have repeatedly refused to release that modeling. I mean, <laughs> we've been asking for it for, I want to say, over a year, and they have denied it at every possible chance because they know how bad that would look like because they mm -hmm. know how dangerous what they're building can be exactly yeah so we saw rfk did you want to talk about that i just was gonna say we (laughs) we saw rfk jr at the iowa state fair we were doing our due diligence as as very serious reporters and uh he brought out dennis kucinich to bring a chart of the carbon capture pipelines through proposed uh through iowa and that was the first thing I noticed was that it was avoiding every major metropolitan area in Iowa. Not that there's that many, but that's all I was going to say. Well, yeah, I, I'm sure that like in your position as a as an organizer with Bold Alliance, you probably don't want to like endorse any any political candidates. But uh, I I don't know how aware you are of of like RFK Jr.'s campaign and how he has taken up the pipeline issue as like a campaign message. Are you familiar with that? Uh, yeah. Thanks to Steve King. He let me know all about it. <laughs> wow. That's great. Actually, yeah. Yeah. It's not, we were both just at the utilities board hearing one day and he mentioned it to me, um, which I greatly appreciated. And say, there's been a number of um, presidential candidates who have either asked for more info or in a lot of ways, frankly, 
they want to use our existing groups to garner support for their campaigns. Yeah, um, finding ways to pander. Yep, yep. It is a kind of hot topic. So I do think RFK is probably more informed than on this issue uh, yeah. than, than most <laughs> right. of the candidates. But yeah, it's it it's interesting. And I mean, I can't say it's not what we want to happen. We want this to be, you know, talked about on the national stage. So more power to anybody that's willing to to take it on. Yeah, it is interesting how this is like a, you know, both major parties have elements within them that that can appeal to this this subject. Uh so yeah, Steve King is sort of an outsider figure within the Republican Party now. But actually where like where are you located? Just out of curiosity. I'm in Rockwell City. Okay. Which is kind of between Fort Dodge and Storm Lake. Okay. So you you live around Steve King country. So yeah. yep. how I guess my outsider perspective is that Steve King, though he's been sort of ousted from mainstream politics, he still holds a lot of sway in Republican politics in Northwest Iowa, right? So if he cares about this pipeline thing, do you think he's, he can have like some real influence on like what the people actually in power do about this? I don't know how like the top leaders treat king i mm-hmm. i'm just not privy to that don't hang around those folks uh, yeah, surprisingly yeah. they haven't invited to uh make me a hamburger yet but yeah. i'm waiting uh <laughs> i'll answer that call no um but he has a lot of influence over just your typical voter i would say i mean he is i will say a a very charismatic guy um yeah and in his so way, then, for sure yeah and, and so and he's also been just talking about eminent domain since, I mean, 2002 at least. So this really is kind of one of his issues. Um, so I, I think people, at least within the conservative, you know, voting bloc, do kind of look to him as an authority figure in certain ways. Um, but, you know, I, I, I will hold other thoughts to myself on that one. <laughs> yeah. Because, well, it, it just seems like the... The, the establishment Republicans in Iowa, they don't care about this, right? They're not going to come out and, and oppose Summit and their proposed pipeline, unless you know of counterexamples to that. I mean, Pat Grassley, uh, hmm. he his his home county is, oh, they're so well organized and they're so against the pipelines. Um, hmm. And they actually were able to like coordinate um he, when the last election cycle when he needed to get petition signatures to get on the ballot they were so well coordinated he wasn't getting the petition signatures from his community that he needed to get on the ballot wow um and same same thing like he's apparently i heard having trouble getting yard signs put up because he hasn't stopped the pipelines wow, <laughs> he, okay. there's a lot of pressure and he did i mean i will hand it to him in this one instance he did um help move a bill through the Iowa House. The Iowa House did um pass a really watered down version that would have restricted the use of eminent domain um for uh, the carbon pipelines, but it was not taken up by the Senate, which certainly has nothing to do with Kim Reynolds stepping in and nothing to do with the tens of thousands of dollars that uh Senate Majority Leader uh, Jack Whitfer has received in donations <laughs> from the companies. 
Surely mm-hmm. not. No way. N- no connection. <laughs> so was that was that enough for like the Pat Grassley constituents, or do they see through this that he just proposed that and got it through the House for his own political benefit, knowing that it would be shot down afterwards? Oh, they're still expecting him to do a lot more and okay. do whatever he can to to uh, push through legislation this next session. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I've been following your your Twitter recently because you've been like really shedding a lot of light on like these hearings. Um, what exactly are these? Who who are hosting these hearings with Summit? So it is being held by the Iowa Utilities Board. That is a three person board appointed by the governor, um, and they essentially are are it's their duty to ultimately either grant or deny um, Summit's application to construct a pipeline, and they can also grant or deny their right to use eminent domain. The interesting thing about the Utilities Board, however, is that um, back in late April, early May, two of the three existing board members were replaced with new appointees. And since that began, we've really seen this process just fast-tracked and Frankly, they've just made an entire mockery of of what this process should be. Just today, they came out with a new motion demanding the um, kind of main like landowner lawyer, Brian Jordy of Domina Law out of Omaha. He represents hundreds of landowners across the Midwest um, at these hearings, including, I mean, a couple hundred here in Iowa, and they have decided that he needs to uh, let the board know when all of his clients and his expert witnesses um, will be appearing at, at the hearings, like in what order, um, <laughs> which is great because there's only like 200 witnesses that he has to call, literally 200. Um, and, and these they are just gave people like... Two- they're just showing up at these hearings like on their own accord. It's not really him organizing their appearances. Okay. <laughs> so they're largely his clients that will have to testify. And then like just a variety of different experts on this issue that mm-hmm. um, are helping to like build the case of why the pipeline shouldn't be approved. So 200 folks, um, yeah. he has to get them the like order that they will all be testifying in, in two days and they have not actually given a schedule for when those those uh timeline will occur so it could be you know next week he has to have these 200 people there or it could be in november um it's a great situation the the even better than that though beyond just like the little manipulations and really just unbelievable ways that they are going about this. I had a landowner today tell me that he wouldn't trust the IUB to plan his three-year-old grandson's birthday party. And I agree. Um, it would be a disaster. The interesting thing is that the IUB really is catering to summit in this process. So mm-hmm. for example, um, rather than hiring their own private security firm, they contracted out with the same security firm that Summit uses. So the folks that have been going with surveyors as they try and access people's property and are there to protect surveyors are now at the Iowa Utilities Board hearing with their guns, bulletproof vests, because of course, you know, all these 80 year old farmers uh, are, are all terrorists, certainly. Um, 
I think the ethanol industry better watch out because um, they are a national security threat. And we know how where ethanol stands on that one. But um, <laughs> then they also um, at the same time as using like the same same security company that's really been intimidating. And, and like, for example, another landowner lawyer, uh, they towed her vehicle. She was actually using a van as a mobile office, had, you know, her bed, her medications, all of her clients' documents in it. And they intentionally towed it because it was suspicious because it was parked <laughs> in the parking lot. Oh, wow. Um, it wasn't yeah, even like parked illegally. It. it was just like, we don't no. like the look of this van. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I, yeah, we had to call the chief of police of Fort Dodge and supervisors and like state legislators just to be able to get her mobile office out of uh, the tow company's possession it was a nightmare um mm. and that's exactly what they intended to do like summit is they're playing dirty pool i mean that's yeah. there's no other way around it they also uh don't let us uh stand during the hearing you you have to sit the entire time for you know eight ten hour days and the chairs are a crime against humanity they're very uncomfortable <laughs> i have the i have the hips of a 90 year old woman now yeah just, just from, from sitting attending in these hearings yeah uh, mm-hmm. I have to uh, imagine, you know, if it's going to be an eight to 10 hour engagement, um, you have to get up to like use the bathroom and stuff like that. Do they let you do that or? Yeah, but you cannot linger uh, it at like the <laughs> oh back of God. the room. They time you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then another day they decided that we were no longer allowed to use cell phones or laptops for no reason. Oh, like I there was no disruptions. Yeah. 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 But then after we, we raised, raised a stink about it, uh, suddenly that decision was reversed. Um, so, hey, I'll take that minor win. Um, <laughs> but yeah, same with like we weren't allowed to bring our uh, our own water into the building on the first day. Like they would literally make us dump it out and go fill it up <laughs> with the bathroom sink water. Airport security. Um, right. And then they're tougher than the TSA. I'm it telling sounds you. like it. Yeah. And then. Then the next day they started selling bottled water for a dollar. <laughs> now it's complimentary. So it's it's just that's bonkers. just so transparent. Like <laughs> you can't bring in your own. We got some right here. Like it's a fucking county fair. <laughs> and yeah, it's, we are grown adults. And like this venue, this venue is the same place that Bruce Rastetter hosted an informational event about like trying to convince landowners to to sign voluntary easements i attended it they served food we were allowed drinks like it's not yeah. a venue decision it is purely <laughs> the iowa utility board's decision not to let us drink anything more than water which is yeah. miserable well when he was trying to he was trying to convince them to sign over the rights it was the carrot approach and now you're getting the stick right got to beat the, the populace into submission <laughs> you're not wrong they gave away swag at that event and i blended <laughs> in um and i have the nicest the nicest pair of leather work gloves i've ever owned in my life and wow. they are like branded summit carbon solutions i got the last <laughs> pair so sorry guys but i use them because they are nice yeah. <laughs> that's pretty something cool out of yeah it. yeah that seems like it costs a bit more than like a you know, a fan, you know, like a little piece of paper oh, stapled yeah. to a tongue depressor. The gloves <laughs> sound a little fancier. Even their keychains are high quality, but my favorite thing that they have done to date is up in South Dakota. You know, um, 
whenever we have a rally, we encourage people to wear red, like wearing red is kind of like the opposition color. Um, and that's how we like are able to spot each other. And that's how, you know, even yeah. if we don't necessarily know each other face to face, we know, okay, we're together. Red and it for just, stop. Yep. A cohesive image, right? Yeah. Uh, up in South Dakota, Summit tried copying us, only they took it a step further. Instead of just wearing a matching color, they wore matching cowboy hats. <laughs> And I am just dying to get my hands on one. And you know what? It was effective because South Dakota did not pass any legislation last session to stop the pipeline. So that is my next proposal is cowboy hats. <laughs> yeah. They were so impressed by the, the fashion that, you know, oh. I, these guys know what's up. They, we got to let them do what they want. <laughs> they look nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. Evan, do you have any more questions? I feel like we've got a lot out of Emma tonight. Um, just one broad one. I don't know if you're uh, equipped to answer it really, but are there any, so like there's a lot of talk about uh, geoengineering ourselves out of climate change and that's kind of what these carbon capture pipelines are part of. Is there any of that that is in any way promising or like I assume that Justin's opinion is the same, but my opinion is that it's basically a way to uh, make a sh- shiny nickel in front of someone's face while they can say like we're not actually going to do anything to like change patterns of consumption that are actually driving climate change (laughs) Mm -hmm. so that's a very loaded question but (laughs) is is am i wrong into thinking that no no i mean that is exactly spot on like whether it's through hydrogen or carbon capture or whatever you want like none of this has any real proven ability to work in fact the only thing that's like proven about carbon capture pipelines is that they're proven to fail time and time again. They have never met like the goals that they've set out to capture the emissions that they said they would. Um, they've never, in a lot of cases, even had the the funding to fully be implemented because it's such expensive technology that really at the end of the day doesn't change the situation we're in. Because like you said, we have to actually change how we operate in this world. You can't just take a waste product from one spot and move it to another and assume that that's solving your problem. Okay. So we can't just see the clouds and then like little <laughs> reflective nanoparticles in the atmosphere to like block out the sun and like, or like detonate tactical nuclear weapons to create sort of like nuclear winter situations. And that, that's not, that's not a good idea. I mean, I can't say whether it's a good idea, but I, I'd stick around to find out. Yeah, don't knock Just it till you try, try it. it. Give it yeah. a shot. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's kind of what they're they're hoping for, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're Just give we're us a, give us a chance. <laughs> the best conspiracy theory out there is that um, this is actually all the workings of Bill Gates, because Bill Gates supports carbon capture, and Bill mm-hmm. Gates also loves to buy up farmland. Mm-hmm. And so what's really going on here is that Bill Gates is behind all of these pipelines, and one of these days after they're built, he's going to intentionally rupture them all so he can kill everybody in the Midwest and take all of our prime farmland. Oh, wow. So spread that around, too. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> that's a brutal one. That's like... Uh, yeah, that's yeah, crazy. Th- you know, like depopulation conspiracy theories are pretty extreme. <laughs> well, uh, Emma, I feel like I learned a lot. That was really fun, especially the Same. Steve King stuff. I'm so happy that you like had some Steve King insight. I was not expecting that. <laughs> uh, so, you know, probably like a few hundred people are going to listen to this. So if you had 
if you had like complete mind control over the few hundred people that are listening right now, uh, what would you command them to do? Like, what can they do to help you and your mission? Uh, do you just want them to follow you on Twitter? Anything like that? Um, a lot of help would come from just talking with people. You know, we've talked about how this is like a pretty hot button issue, especially out in like rural places and, and people that are directly impacted. But everybody is impacted in some way or another, whether it's because your tax dollars are going to line the pockets of Bruce Rastetter instead of to your own community or because we're investing in false climate solutions or whatever. Some way, shape or form, everybody is impacted, but we're not hearing from a lot of folks. There's still a lot of folks that have no idea that a carbon pipeline is any different than like an oil pipeline um, or that carbon pipelines are even a thing they should be worried about. And so if you can just talk to folks in your community about this, that would be a major help because if we're really at the end of the day going to stop this thing, we need as many bodies on our side as possible because unfortunately, you know, we don't have the backing of like BlackRock, like Navigator does. So um, it's a tough, tough uh, spot to be in. So we need as much support as humanly possible, um, whether it's yeah, just talking with your mailman or your hairdresser or whoever, or writing a letter to the editor to just help spread the word um, and any support. I mean, showing up to the hearings, these summit hearings are taking place in Fort Dodge um, every mo- uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, at least through September, pretty likely going to go on longer than that. And then, of course, we've got the legislative session coming up here too soon um, <laughs> in January, and we will be doing everything we can to try and and get a real foundational shifting bill through the legislature to really tackle this problem. Yeah. So geez. talk to your legislators. Yeah. Well, on the BlackRock thing, this is this is maybe a long shot, but. If anyone out there is listening to this and you have like several million dollars and you can afford to hire like a private security militia to help out Emma and, and her crew, um, please, you know, reach out and, you know, we'll we'll hook you up because, uh, you know, BlackRock is pretty threatening. So if we could have our own kind of BlackRock, you know, that would be great. So oh, I'm, I'm there for it. <laughs> great ask. <laughs> great and realistic. <laughs> Got to intimidate them back (laughs) after their intimidation tactics. Yeah. Well, Emma Schmidt, thank you. You've been a wonderful guest. This is, uh, yeah, I I really love that. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I really love every opportunity to talk about this. So great time. I can tell you do a great job. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much. All right. Everybody out there. Thanks for listening and uh, do what Emma just told you to do. You know, do talk to people, write a letter. Uh, go yell at your uh, your state senator or whatever, because carbon ca- capture pipelines. If if you weren't paying attention, they're very bad, and we should stop them. So that's the message tonight. Thank you for listening to Rock Hard Caucus, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Hey, it's Lucky. Make it as Lucky Charms. Hi, with me, Rainbow Magic. We've got magic too, you know. Ah, but can you make? Heart stars and horseshoes, clovers and blue moons, pots of golden rainbows, and me red balloons. Well, not exactly. <laughs> but like magic, we can make them disappear. Marshmallowy Lucky Charms, a tasty part of this good breakfast. That's me Lucky Charms. The magic is delicious. delicious.